Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 145. Infinite money. <laughs> we're, living, we're living in a time of infinite money. Or, or as the WSB, the Wall Street Bets kids say, printer go burr. <laughs> right now, everyone in power is on the same side of the boat. They all want to spend more money. They all want to print more money. And, you know, it's pretty easy to understand why. From 2009 to 2011, during the financial crisis, the federal deficit ran about 8% to 10% of GDP. In 2020, because of COVID, the federal deficit was over 15% of GDP. And that, <laughs> that ignores the $4 trillion that the Fed printed. Now, in 2021, the federal deficit will probably be over 10% of GDP. And, and for context, those are just massive, massive numbers. I think from World War II through 2009, the deficit never went above 6% of GDP. So what's the result of all of this spending without revenue behind it? Well, nothing, really. The U.S. dollar still is strong. Inflation, at least how the government measures it, is still pretty weak. So the warning signs aren't there. The theoretical red flags aren't really showing up. So the, the modern monetary theory people, the MMT people, or the politicians who want to spend, spend, spend while they're in office, who want to make hay <laughs> while the sun shines, well, they're feeling their oats. So the consensus, at least, is that this money printing is going to continue. And that's one reason that asset prices are up, especially scarce assets that cannot be printed as readily as the Fed can print dollars. For example, stocks are up, real estate is up, crypto is really up. The result is, pretty naturally, there's a lot of FOMO out there right now. There's a lot of fear of missing out. Exactly because some asset prices have skyrocketed, people are afraid of not owning the next asset that will skyrocket. Right? That makes sense. Because if the government is going to print infinite money, <laughs> then your finite money isn't worth jack. So how can you protect your wealth? How can you protect the stored value of your labor in a world where the government is signaling that it's just going to keep printing money with abandon? Now, this brings me to the Cantillon effect. <laughs> the Cantillon effect. I know what you're thinking, okay? Matt, you talk about the most exciting things. I'm tired of titillating true crime stories and outrage-provoking politics. I want to listen to abstract economic theory. Well, good, because that's what you're getting. <laughs> Hat tip to Matt Stoller on this, okay? The Cantillon effect is a dorky way to say that when money is created, whoever can get their grubby little hands on it first, win. <laughs> Duh, right? That makes a lot of sense. If I print money and I just give it to my friends, my friends are going to crush it. More to the point, you really want to be one of my friends. 
You want to be the friend of the guy with the printing press. You want to be first in line at the money printer. And even if you can't be my friend, you still want to know who my friends are because they're going to have all the money. Anything they want is going to increase in value. You want to sell to those people. You want to buy what they're going to buy before they can get to it. So now the question shifts. Well, which groups are first in line when money gets printed? Which is another way of saying which groups are so politically powerful that they get first dibs to those freshly minted ones and zeros. Well, the first answer is, of course, the banks. (laughs) After all, the banks own the Federal Reserve, which prints the money. And when the Federal Reserve printed $4 trillion last year, trillion, $4 trillion, did they give that money to you? No, they gave it to the banks. And then the banks gave it to the people who are their best customers. So anyone the banks will lend to benefit from all this money printing. And that means the rich. The rich can borrow cheaply, buy real things like stocks, real estate, and they can sleep soundly knowing that they owe something that the government is printing more of as fast as they can. Now, more broadly, the people who are first in line for freshly printed dollars are any industry that gets bailed out, any industry that is protected from its mistakes, whose people don't bear the consequences of those mistakes, and instead, they get to impose the cost of their mistakes on all of us. Think of 2008, okay? Banks made fraudulent loans, and the banks got bailed out. (laughs) The people at the banks who made those fraudulent loans, they got bailed out. They got paid millions and millions of dollars for collapsing the economy. And the people who were making trillions of dollars of side bets about the value of those mortgages and also helped to collapse the U.S. economy, well, they got bailed out as well. And their millions of dollars in bonuses and, quote, retention payments were safe, right? Those came directly from the government. And of course, the people who were the victims of this fraud did not get bailed out. And instead, they got evicted and kicked out of their homes. So you can see how nice the Cantillon effect is when you're at the front of the line and how crap it is if you're not. Who else benefits from the Cantillon effect? Well, anybody who gets paid directly by the government, okay? If the government is your customer, you're pretty happy. And this is people like the military industrial complex, the healthcare industrial complex. These firms don't have to worry about providing a good product or service. They don't have to worry that the government won't be able to pay them. It's a very nice place to be when your customer can print whatever money it needs to pay you. It makes them less likely to examine your bill very carefully, right? Why should they bother to make sure that you're doing a good job and not overcharging when they can just print or go burr? Now, Before you guys bite my head off, an interesting twist on this is that the government hasn't technically started printing money yet. Technically, okay? It still hands out these IOUs in exchange for the money it prints. And those IOUs function as money because 
Heck, as the modern monetary theorists, gosh, that's a mouthful, as the MMTers point out, those IOU promises are technically good because, because a government that operates under a fiat currency can always just print the money it needs to fulfill those promises. So our federal government has issued about $28 trillion of those promises. Trillion. Okay, $28 trillion of IOUs. Who owns those promises of the federal government? A lot of people think it's China. It's not China. China only owns about $1 trillion. And it's not Japan. Japan also only owns a little over $1 trillion of our debt. In fact, all foreigners combined only own about $7 trillion. And that's, you know, that's less than a quarter of all the IOUs out there. Those IOUs are held in America. Now, you'll hear an argument that this is good. <laughs> we owe it to ourselves. That's a terrible, no good argument. Because it implies we could somehow cancel that debt and no one would get hurt. But the people who own that debt rely on it. They expect those promises to be kept. They're counting on getting that money. Government retirement programs like Social Security, well, they own $6 trillion of these IOUs. Individuals, directly or indirectly, through mutual funds or their own retirement programs, own about another $4 trillion. And the rest is owned basically by the government, the Federal Reserve, other government funds, and then banks. Now, this analysis is pretty straightforward, but here's a trickier question. Who owes that money? Who's on the hook for fulfilling those $28 trillion of promises that the federal government has made? Well, taxpayers. And since I don't really see any impetus to repay this money in the near term to, to retire those IOUs, it's really unborn taxpayers. It's the next generation and the generation after that. People who don't even exist yet are having trillions and trillions of obligations heaped onto their backs. And that means that the value of their future labor is being sold right now by their parents and grandparents. Give me this consumer good and my grandson will work hard to pay you back. Now, what's the right word for that? Yeah, I'm going to leave that to your imagination. But what if those people who haven't been born yet and weren't a party to this debt taking on, what if they don't like that deal? What happens to the value of those promises made by the federal government in that case? Well, the easy answer is that MMT is still correct. The U.S. dollar will still be a fiat currency, and the government could fulfill those promises by just printing dollars. But if the government has to do that, if the government has to print dollars to fulfill $28 trillion of promises, in that case, the dollars they print will buy you, hmm, let me see what the math is here, carry the three, round to two decimal place, nothing, okay? <laughs> those dollars will buy you nothing. Bubkiss. Those promises will be worth bubkiss. There's another problem here. Money printing destroys societies. Okay, let me say that again. Money printing destroys societies. Money printing atrophies societies. The societies enervate. They weaken. How? Okay, fair question. 
For the same reason that the Department of Defense does a terrible job auditing the billion-dollar bills that defense contractors submit. Why should we demand reasonable behavior when we can just print the money to satisfy every unreasonable claim? Why balance the budget? Not just at the federal level, but also at the state and local level. Just bail them out. Just bail all of them out. Every mistake can be expunged by just printer go burr. Why worry about corruption? Why worry about graft? Why worry about these problems in Medicare and SSI? You know, yada, yada, yada. Just bail the programs out. All of them. So what if there's a couple hundred billion dollars of fraud? Just print the money. Why try to live within your means? Why try to create good habits and implement reform? Just bail everyone out. Just bail everyone everyone out. Let the unborn deal with this mess. They can't vote to stop us. They're powerless. The result of bailouts by the federal government is a centralization of fragility. You put all the burden of all of the local mistakes all in the same place on the back of the federal government. A healthy system makes sure that its parts are independent, and then it lets the ones that screw up fail. I think intuitively this should make sense. When you protect every part of the system from the consequences of its own mistakes, you pile a heavier and heavier load on the system itself. You increase the fragility of the system as a whole. Now, this can go on a long time in a strong society. And America, at one point, was a very strong society. But this method can't go on forever. The rule of a fragile system is that we know it breaks. We don't know when. We can't predict the precise catalyst. But we know it's going to break. And when it does, those IOU holders, those holders of promises from the federal government, well, they're going to become bag holders. They're going to expect payment from something that no longer exists. Okay, that's all I got this week. I'll catch you later.